Welcome back to the Dying to Ask podcast. Do you know those those wooden signs that got really popular a few years back? You'd find them in like model homes. Model homes always have them up. You know, like they have this sign that says laundry that you put into your laundry room, like in case you don't recognize what the piles of dirty clothes are supposed to be doing in that room. You know, you've got the laundry sign to direct you. But a lot of times they have motivational sayings. And I'll be honest, I used to look at those and I thought, really? If you got to put it on a sign, is it really going to happen? But then I saw the sign that talked to me. I was in like Marshall's or TJ Maxx or one of those places. And I saw this sign that said, happiness is what you make it. Always has been, always will be. And I bought that sign there on the spot, probably the best $3 I ever spent. And I hung it in my closet because when you get up in the middle of the night, like I do, you need someone to talk to you (laughs) at that hour to make you, you know, put on your shoes and get yourself out the door. And I just love that sign. And a few months ago, my husband, who I didn't think had even noticed that it was hanging there in the closet, we share a closet, he commented on it. And he said, you know, I think that sign is wearing on me. Like, I think I'm starting to believe the sign. And I was kind of stunned by the power of suggestion of the positive thinking. And it really kind of stuck with me. So That's a little bit of what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today, because after a year of the pandemic, people are tired. They are tired of being tired in this fatigue that so many of us are feeling, even for the most energetic, positive thinking people like Pollyanna is over it right? So that's why I invited Megan B. Murphy to be on the show today. Megan is a fellow Hearst colleague. She is the editor-in-chief of Woman's Day. Now, Woman's Day is the number one selling magazines out on newsstands, and it reaches 18 million readers every month. It is an awesome magazine. And Megan has actually worked for a lot of my favorite magazines over the years. YM, do you remember that one? Young Miss. Teen People, Good Housekeeping. She was at Cosmo for a while. She had a stint at MTV. Well, now she's at Woman's Day. And get this, she started her job the week the lockdown started. So she's never even spent an amount of time in the office with her colleagues, with her crew. She's been basically working out of her home in New Jersey since this whole mess started. And right around that time, she was wrapping up her first book, and the book is called Your Fully Charged Life. Megan describes herself as a master hacker after all these years of working in magazines, like there's nothing in life that she can't give you a good hack for. And this book is like a guide to hack yourself into living a positive, happy, and more enjoyable life. But here's the best part. She was not always like this. She's not somebody who like came out of the womb and like had rainbows above her head. In fact, when she was little, all her family members called her grumpy. And she was like that for a really long time. So at some point, Megan decided that living fully charged was the right way to go. And she's going to tell you the the article actually that she was writing that really flipped a switch for her. And now she has taken control of her attitude and the way she views life with some very simple, actionable things that we can all do almost instantly. On this time to ask what it means to live a fully charged life, the tragic life event that sent Megan down her career path, and how Megan had to practice what she preached when recently she and the family caught COVID. Megan B. Murphy is my guest on Dying to Ask. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I know two things. One, that phrase, I'll sleep when I'm dead, 
is starting to seem likely. And two, the best conversations take time. Dying to Ask is my chance to have longer, more meaningful conversations without a producer yelling rap in my ear. Personal change requires personal growth. And these days, Plan B is the new Plan A. Ready to do life bigger and better despite the Rona? This is Dying to Ask. Megan, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Excited to have you. Yay! My favorite word. Yay! Yay. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> like your go-to word these days. I mean, forward and backward, it says the same thing. Yay! My husband says we should turn it into a drinking game. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, after the last year, you could be mm-hmm. very, very um, drunk at this point. Right. <laughs> or I could just make it into a drink water game because I'm perpetually dehydrated and maybe it would encourage yes. me to drink water. I feel like that. I feel like that's a hack that's been in one of the 70 million magazines you've worked for over the years. Probably. (laughs) Probably. Well, I'm excited to have you on. And um, it's, it's funny, like there were so many people who had books that came out this year and they thought this is the worst time for this particular book to come out. Your book, I think it's like the best time because we have never needed this kind of a message like we do right now. But that's coincidental that this book is coming out right now, right? It sure is. So I I had to finish the book in April um, and it's been slated for February 23rd since I sold it to Penguin Random House two years ago. Um, As an author, as a first time author, this is certainly not the way I anticipated launching a book. Um, I thought I'd be touring the country, telling everybody about your fully charged life and like meeting with readers. Um, And I'm such a social people person that I was really looking forward to that. So it is sort of slightly surreal to be doing all of that from my new home office that I never knew I needed um, in front of a Zoom. So said Americans everywhere. Like it's surreal. Um, But I'm grateful in the sense that like the advice that I give in your fully charged life, much of it is to help build resilience um, and to help people cope through the toughest of times. These are tips and tricks and strategies that I have used over the course of the past 20 years to really transform myself from a kid named Grumpy to a really happy grown up who moves through life with a, a mix of optimism and joy. Even when you say when things when you, suck, yeah, well, yeah, we know we're familiar with that. But when you say you know, a kid named Grumpy, what what I love about your story is that you weren't just born like some people are just born happy. My second child, born happy, like every day he wakes up, he jumps up. I mean, it's like the most delicious quality. But you weren't like that from the time you were small. Oh no, no, I was the anti that. I mean, I legitimately wore a necklace with Grumpy the dwarf that my parents gave me because I was. <laughs> the embodiment of negativity. I even wrote a character in the school play in fifth grade named Negi in my own likeness, who was an essentially a rain cloud. I won excellence in acting, which later probably led me to study acting. But um, yeah, I was a miserable little kid. Why would we wanna go to Disney World? It's gonna be hot, there's gonna be lines. Like I have a soccer game, I'm definitely gonna lose. Like I was the glass half empty kid. Negativity bias was so strong and dominant. And that led to some really rough teen years. Um, You know, I had raging eating disorder. I wound up hospitalized. My best friend at the time also had an eating disorder, wound up tragically dying. I mean, there was, it was terrible times. Um, And when you're grumpy, it's not that easy to manage those terrible times. Do you think um, that that people are kind of born one way or the other? I mean, is that is that just something that you know we're wired a certain kind of way? I mean, I think we're all wired to look for the negative. Our negativity bias is primal. We are primally programmed to seek out 
the negative. I mean, it's a, it's a survival mechanism. It was, you know, I mean, snake, danger, bear, danger, life is dangerous, react, react. I mean, like that served our, you know, ancestors pretty well. The dangers these days aren't as uh, glaringly obvious and, and yet that negativity bias is still really, really dominant. We want, our bodies want us to be negative. They want us to see the awful. Um, so you have to work hard to change that and to rewire and to reroute some of those thoughts. You have three little kids. Are they, can you already tell which way they're wired? You know, my kids- Or are can somebody be negative in your house at this point? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I mean, and some days that person is me. I mean, you know what? I mean, everybody has bad days and bad moods that doesn't make them bad people. Um, my kids, I think, are probably middle of the road. I don't, none of my kids were, came out of the womb sunshiny. Um, but we really have an active positivity practice in my house. So that's what they know. That's what they see. They do happy. They know how to do happy yeah. because that's what, that's how we live. Um, you know, I, I live what I write about. So I think that they are always going to find the silver lining. They're always going to um, be more optimistic than pessimistic just because that's how we live in this house. You mentioned um, the, the teenage time and the really rough time. And it is interesting, but a couple of events that happened during those years really pushed you down this path to um, the career that you ended up in and, and the expertise that you've developed about that, that all comes into your fully charged life. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think it's really fascinating. And I always say to people, make your mess your message. Um, through going through those hard times and the hospitalizations, losing my, my friend, the guilt I felt over her death, I wrote about it. I wrote a very powerful essay that landed me a $10,000 scholarship. And um, uh, you know, I was a Horatio Alger National Scholar. I was featured on an NBC special and Don Johnson and Bob Constas were the presenters and saluted me and, and a bunch of kids around the country. Trisha Yearwood performed. I mean, it was pretty surreal. I was 18 years old and it was like kind of a big deal. Um, and that led to some national attention. YM Magazine approached me and they wanted to tell my story. And I said, great, but I'm gonna write it myself and I wanna tell my story and can I be an intern? And that's how it was like fearless, but that's how it worked out. From this very tragic event, my whole career was born. Um, and then I wound up being a contributing editor at YM Magazine when I was 19. And then that led to, I was one of the founding editors of Teen People um, when I was in my 20, probably 20, 21 years old. Um, and that led to, I, I actually had a, I studied acting and I was on MTV. I was a host on MTV and doing commercials and things like that before um, landing at Cosmopolitan where I really had the biggest um, mental shift of my lifetime. Um, and I, I credit an article I, I wrote and was researching called The Seven Secrets of Happiness that really opened my eyes to the field of positive psychology and to the idea that happiness was a choice and maybe it wasn't such a bad way to live, that we can do things um, to prioritize positivity and to actually live happy. And I was like, hmm. I mean, it wasn't like I dramatically changed overnight, but looking at the work of some of these positive psychologists and kind of looking at neuroscience for the first time, I was like, wow, maybe there's a little something to that. And I began to dabble in practicing what it would be like to choose happy. 
So are you in your early twenties at this point? I was in my early twenties. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I was there for about four years. That's um, a wonderful time to dabble in anything. Right? Isn't it? <laughs> I was dabbling in positivity. I was, I was just dabbling. No drugs, just positivity. <laughs> a little hit of positivity. Just a hit of positivity. So it's the street value of positivity. Um, <laughs> priceless these right? days. It was priceless. <laughs> And then I went on to um, Self Magazine, which I really call my self-formative years. And I was there for nine years. I was the fitness director and the deputy editor. Um, and that was the time frame where I wound up, you know, marrying my husband, having my three kids. And I ran a program called the Self Challenge, which was an eat right and exercise program, helping hundreds of thousands of women reach their goals. And a component of that program was mind shifts, motivation, um, you know, all of those kind of things. And I really liked it. And I really use myself as a guinea pig. Everything I ever you know, every study I read, every researcher I talked to, I mean, I used myself as a guinea pig and tried every trick and also saw what worked for real women. Um, and so by the time I left self having moving over to good housekeeping, I was really self-actualized. I was in a good yeah. place. Like I was- Okay, quick, quick sidebar. You have worked for every magazine I have loved. Really? Like, and it, uh, yes, and every one of those magazines is like, and maybe it was like this for you too. I grew up at different stages in my life because yeah. there's, there's a point in your life where you see the good housekeeping on the table that your mom orders and you're like, why would anybody yeah. buy that? And then there's a point where you're like, I can use baking soda for that. And exactly. it's like the most amazing thing. But do you, did you always love magazines? Cause I, I still do. I get a stack of subscriptions. Yeah. Well, I'm working for Hearst. We get a beautiful yeah. discount on all of them. It's like one of the greatest perks, but I love magazines. Did you always love them as well? I've always loved. Yeah. I love, I love magazines. I've always loved magazines and my magazine that I was working at always completely aligned with my life stage, wherever I was in my career seemed to be wherever I was with my magazine. And it really was no accident that at the moment I went to good housekeeping, I had just moved to the suburbs, had my third child, bought a swing set. I'm like, wow, this makes sense. I'm headed to good housekeeping. And I spent three years at good yeah. housekeeping. Um, and during that time when I had another kind of turning point in my life, my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed away like in a five month span. And that's when I really, really realized the power of positivity, um, realized what I wanted my legacy to be, understood that I needed to write this book and, and how important this toolkit was going to be. Oh, you look like you're gonna cry and that will make me cry. Well, no, I, well, I guess our lives really have been very powerful. I, I, if I'm doing the, the math right, I went through a very similar experience with my father and I had a very similar, reaction from it in that I found that I, all of a sudden life became far more black and white than it ever had been yeah. in terms of priorities. But also when you go through an illness with, especially a parent, well, I guess that's the one I've experienced. You learn to break things into very small things. Like I'm going to get through this afternoon. And that's where you find those little positive moments exactly. because you do have that role reversal as a child. Yeah. You know, it's what Kelly Corrigan called the middle place, but you find you have to look for those little small mm -hmm. things, probably like our parents did when we were kids, Exactly. you know, to get through things. So I, I'm, it's interesting that that's when it became very crystallized for you. You know, I, so I say there's a gift in all adversity and, and it can be hard to unwrap those gifts, but terminal cancer was a gift to me in the sense that I really did get to sit down with my father and say, how do you want to be remembered? Like, what is your legacy? And in doing that with him, I also got to do it with myself. 
mm-hmm. and to really understand like how I, this can, I don't know why I'm getting choked up, but how I wanted to leave the planet. And it was so clear, like a legacy of positive energy is absolutely why I'm here. And that was when the book, I was like, this is it. Like, I'm going to hustle. If I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning, every morning to get this proposal done, I am, I am getting this, I'm doing this book. Like this book has to happen. Um, And so, you know, for the past three years, this has been like, this has been it. This has been the mandate. Well, flash forward, you're now- Also, what I also do, yeah, I'm also the editor-in-chief of Women's Day Magazine. (laughs) But, um, bring, it, bring it back to our other mutual yes, connection working for hers, but that. yeah, but you're now but the, at Women's Day, which people might not realize is a massive magazine with like yeah. incredible circulation. You have like 18 million eyeballs on it yeah. every single month on your content, whether it's online or in and the it actual sounds magazine. Like hotcakes on the newsstand. Yes. Um, and I will say, so I took over the magazine in March, right before lockdown. I never moved out of my good housekeeping office. Um, I've never really been in the same room with my team, which is so insane, right? That is so weird. Mm-hmm. That is really I've strange. i it all from my home. But I think the beauty of it is, and once again, my life stage marries, ma- like mirrors my career because when I took over Woman's Day, I was basically like, it's woman's yay in my brain. Like, <laughs> that's what I, that's what I refer to it as. And it really sort of, we decided to make it destination celebration no holiday left behind from taco to Tuesday to Christmas. We are going to help you put more yay in every day. That is our mandate. We fun filter all of our content. Um, We have such diversity, age diversity, geographical diversity, race, religion, every kind of diversity you can think of. We showcase and shine a light on awesome people doing awesome things, give you awesome ideas to help you punctuate your day with joy. Um, and, and it's such a treat to get to make this magazine. Um, and it, it's, I mean, the book and the magazine are kind of one and the same. So all of the principles that, that your fully charged life employs is exactly how I create the magazine and how the magazine was born in this, in this new way. Has it been difficult to come up with covers for magazines? You know, in the first couple of months of the pandemic, you can tell I'm a total magazine geek, but yeah. I, you know, it was interesting. Those first ones that kind of came through after everything started last year, um, I would look at them and I would think, gosh, they must've been very difficult. Cause at least in television news, we change on the fly, like something that doesn't work in two minutes from now, I can do that out loud as I'm reading. Um, but with magazines, you guys do so much in advance. The, these meetings must be really interesting to be a part of as you try to look into the future, what people are going to need in a month. It's super fun. Um, for my first cover, I knew that rainbows were bringing me so much hope. And I was loving that phrase, this too shall pass and feeling a lot of comfort in that. Um, and so I knew it had to be a fruit rainbow. I didn't know how we were going to make this fruit rainbow. Um, We had groceries, mail, like mail ordered to a photographer's garage. um, Stop. Really? Yeah, like in the Poconos somewhere. And he became a food stylist and made these little melon balls and whatever. And we made this fruit rainbow out of nothing. But it was so important to me. Like I just knew in my gut that a fruit rainbow was the right moment for this rebirth. Um, and we changed the logo, we changed everything, but it really just felt like it was, it was such a joy to put out that first issue. I never really, I don't really angst over ideas. I feel like there's endless ideas. Um, 
and we'll probably get it right. And if not, we'll get it right next month. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the idea for me is like, when I see something and I go, yay, I know it's right. And that is so what your book is about. So let's, let's segue and talk about some of these principles because what's beautiful about it is that these are very small adjustments, whether it's in the wording of how you look at something or in just like stopping for a moment, taking a breath and making a decision to look at something a certain kind of way. How do we put more yay in our lives? How, where, where should we start? You got to look for it. First of all, I mean, I think there's so many different ways to do that. Um, I, I say holiday hard, find a reason to celebrate every day. I think national days are the biggest gift ever. I mean, people roll their eyes at National S'mores Day, right? They're like, oh, it's a manufactured holiday. Hershey probably came up with it. Who cares? It is an excuse <laughs> to put fun on your calendar. It is an excuse to say, wow, marshmallows, chocolate, and graham crackers found each other and we get to eat them, right? Like, what is it behind beyond birthdays and anniversaries? What is that little moment of joy that you can create for yourself every day? Um, I think that is so important. We need things to look forward to. Taco Tuesday is now a national holiday at my house. It has escalated through the pandemic because it was really, in those early days, it was the only thing to look forward to. It was the only moment of levity and light in a really tough time. So it's, it's, it's number one, creating that yay, giving yourself an excuse to put happy on the calendar, to prioritize fun. And it may seem silly and it may seem frivolous, but guess what? It's mood magic. Yeah. There is a lot of power in words. Words matter. Mm -hmm. And replacing the phrase I have to with I get to can be incredibly powerful. It's funny too. And, and, it's such a small mind shift. And I, I've given that tweak to so many of my friends, you know, especially some of my stay at home moms who are just burnt and they're like, and now I have to put my kids to bed and I have to do the bedtime routine. And you're like, wait a second, you get to do that. Like you get to tuck in those three little cuties. Like you get to do that. You know, like there's very few things in life that we actually have to do when you think about it, right? This is your life that for the most part you create. So think about all the things you get to do. I get to go to work. I don't have to. I get to collect a paycheck. I get to make this amazing magazine. Whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing, it's it's something you get to do. You get to do it. Why does the mental mindset matter so much? Well, our, our brains... Um, there's this thing called neuroplasticity, right? And, and we're wired a certain way. And if you think of your, your brain as like these hiking trails, well, you know, the negative pathway is clear, right? Like the rocks are moved, the branches are broken down, and that is the easy way to traverse. That's the way you want, that's where your brain wants to go. Slide down that negative hiking path. Every time you, you pick the good thing, prioritize the good thought, have that positive moment, you divert from that path. And guess what? You start to break down a new pathway and you start to clear the brush and clear the rocks. And then someday, suddenly, magically, that's the way your brain wants to go. I mean, it's crazy. I don't even look for silver linings. They find me because I've completely rewired from grumpy to, you know, somebody who my friends joke fart rainbows. But like... (laughs) 
I trained the same way I trained for a marathon seven years ago. I trained to live this way because guess what? It feels better. It just feels better. What's another tweak we could do today that would likely yield a result pretty quickly? Make your bed. Go make your bed. If you didn't make your bed today, go make your bed. Having that minor sense of accomplishment first thing in the morning sets the tone for a really good day especially on a Monday, right? Yeah. Also, I like to call it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> Friday. But, but here's the thing, like just doing that one thing. Okay, once you make your bed, take your shower, dress the way you want to feel. Think of your clothes as, as dopamine dressing. Like, are you going to a funeral? Are you going to the party of life? Like, what's, what can you do? Like your outfit is going to either be a tranquilizer or a latte, I'm always going to choose the latte. Like look at your pretty shirt with those flowers, like blooms on your top. Like that's, that's the secret sauce. Like dress how you want to feel. You know, when I'm wearing all black, I feel like crap. Something called embedded cognition. When we're slouched over, that's our mood mirrors that. Something as simple as standing up straighter can improve your mood. Something as simple as buying yourself flowers can ease anxiety and make you feel happier. Clearing the clutter, right? Clear the, clear the space, clear your mind. You know, complimenting someone else, throwing around compliments like confetti. That gives people a love charge and it's reciprocal. Like see what that feels like. Saying hi to the cashier, maybe using their name tag. Thinking of that name tag as a gift, a chance to recognize their humanity. What happens when you do that? These small little things, it's, they're small, but they make a big difference. You list a lot of them in the book. And like you said, they are small. I mean, you don't have to go back to school to learn how to do any of this stuff, which is you know really nice. Would you recommend that people like maybe like come up with a list of five things and they just start checking it off every day? Because it seems like sometimes small things Sometimes they feel really hard because they're so small and you just assume that it can't really do anything. No, I don't make a list. That's just now you've created homework. And (laughs) right, like, I don't think living a happy, fully charged life should ever feel like homework. I think you should do one thing and see how you feel. And guess what? I guarantee it'll lead to one more good thing, but don't make it feel like homework, right? Like, hey, listen, take a highlighter flag the pages, flag the things that really stick with you. Roll your eyes at me when you want, because I don't care. Um, you know, it feels good to live live happy, but you can roll my, your eyes at me if you want. But just do one thing. Pick one. Pick one that you're like, hmm, I could do that. And do what's it. Your, what's your hack for dealing with negative people? Now, one, one silver lining of quarantine and the pandemic is that you don't have to see a lot of the people who maybe were drains <laughs> on your energy before. <laughs> But what's, what, what is a good hack for people who are negative? Um, well, I like to say, smile at the a-holes. It confuses them. <laughs> um, I like to be a force field of positivity. Um, I give this example. My three kids and I are in the car and this guy in a Jeep pulls out in front of us. Like he's in the wrong and then flashes us the finger. I have three kids. I'm a mom with three kids, three young kids in the car. And this guy's giving me a finger. In that moment, I have a choice. And, and in that moment, that those kinds of moments happen all day long in our lives, right? You can either give in to the a-hole and flash the finger back, or you can freeze, pause, smile, and diffuse that person. And it's so fun. You can actually gamify it, right? Like, mm-hmm. wow, 
his bad day doesn't get to impact me because clearly something bigger is at work here, right? Like I'm not really sure why he thought it necessary to flip me the bird with my three kids in the car, but that's on him. And the only thing on me is my reaction. And won't it be funny when I just smile and wave and carry on with my day without letting that negative interaction escalate or impact me any more deeply? Does your positivity ever, um, has it ever created issues with people in your social group who just can't take that much positivity? No, because I'm not toxically positive. I'm not, I'm not relentlessly happy. I'm relentlessly optimistic. Oh, I think there's I like a that. difference. Yeah. Um, so I'm not walking around going like, everything's great. Ah, no, that's not me. That's not me. I'm going to take a crappy situation. I'm going to acknowledge what's crappy about it. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat what's crappy. I'm going to live with what's crappy. But then the only way forward is through. And I'm going yeah. to understand what's the positive action step that's going to get me to the other side. What's going to carry me through this. I just had COVID. My three kids, my husband and my seven-year-old mother had COVID. Guess what? That sucked. And I absolutely recognize how much that sucked, right? I'm not an idiot. I'm not Pollyanna walking around with some, oh, I got COVID. Yeah, no, big deal. It stunk. It was awful. Okay, but now pause. I had my moment. I had my shower cry. Now what? I'm going to change my why me, woe is me to a why not me. And I'm going to empower myself with purpose. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to think back. I'm going to flash back to something hard I've overcome in the past. Okay. I got through pneumonia. I can do hard things. I'm going to get through COVID too. And guess what? I have a purpose. Maybe my mission is to destigmatize this for other families. And maybe my mission is to give people a COVID recovery toolkit because I have access to great doctors because I'm on a great podcast. Okay. Now I have a purpose. That's going to fuel my mission forward. That's the key in life. Like you cannot control sucky things that happen to you, but you can always control the most important thing. And that's your reaction. And prioritizing positivity is going to help you get through those things more easily. It's not going to erase any of those things. It's not going to band-aid any of those things, but it is going to allow you to move through with resilience and grace. Yeah, that's a great point. What's been the um, most surprising thing about doing a book tour virtually? Um, oh my gosh, probably like Zoom bombs from my dogs and my dog and my kids. <laughs> right. At like the most inappropriate times where you're like, and I have a dog, that's him scratching at the door and I kind of need to open it or I will not have any molding left. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to be working because I feel like I have seen you just all over the place talking about the book and clearly it's a message so many of us really need right now. So what are good ways for people to keep up with you? So I'm pretty busy on Instagram. Um, that is at Megan, M-E-A-G-H-A-N, B Murphy. I also do something called the Yay List, which is uh, an Instagram community that just prioritizes positivity and shares fun, good news. Is um, that is that its own Instagram page? Yeah, I created Oh, I love that. I didn't know that. The Yay List. Yeah, and that's just like, just like a feel-good community of like, oh my gosh, look at these dogs wagging their tails in synchronicity. Did you know it's National Polar Bear Day? Like things like that. Like just, you know. What just kind fun. of tacos are you having tonight? Exactly. Right. <laughs> like that kind of good, good stuff. Um, and the book is available wherever books are sold. I always like to encourage people to shop local when you can. 
um, and support your community and local booksellers. If you do buy it at one of the big guys like Amazon, please rate and review because that supports the author um, and makes an author do a happy dance. Oh, I love that. And then the book for people who haven't seen the book cover, and I will be posting lots of pictures of it. It's, I love it. It's bright orange with yellow lettering I and a signature tattoo. lightning bolt. Oh my gosh, you are And all a matching in on this. manicure. I'm like crazy. Yeah. Love like it. I'm, and then I'm all in. She's got she's got a lightning bolt sweater. It's just the whole thing is just like completely put together. And you had briefly referenced your podcast, but it's called Off the Gram. And people who listen to this show, Dying to Ask, might remember that we had Jamie Hess, one of your co-hosts, on recently. And it's a wonderful, wonderful show. Yay. Thanks so much. I appreciate really your support. It. I really do. Of course. Of course. Well, thank you so much. Best of luck with the book. And we'll be looking for you in Woman's Day and seeing what hacks you come up with next. Thank you. I have an idea. Here's my idea. I think your fully charged life would be a fabulous spring book club book because as much as people say they love War and Peace, they don't. It's too long. Your fully charged life, you could get through it in a weekend. And then within your book club, you could hold each other accountable. You could have your own little accountability group so that every time you get caught saying something like, I have to fill in the blank, someone in your club could call you out on it and keep you on track to living more fully charged and just feeling better in general. And who doesn't need that right now? Quick shout out to my friend, Eileen Javora. Eileen is a podcast addict just like me, and she is so kind. She always shares a dying to screen grab with a takeaway from the episode on her Instagram stories. And I, I just want to tell you, I appreciate that, Eileen. I appreciate you. And if you appreciate good food and good wine, Eileen's Instagram is the place you need to be. You will find her at The Wine Wife. It is awesome. If you're a foodie or you just like watching people prepare foods, Eileen is like incredible. And like me, she's raising chickens this year. She is living the vineyard life. I'm not doing that, but I do drink wine a lot of it, <laughs> but it's like this slice of civility on her page without the tasting fee. It's really, really fun. And I love Eileen's take on life. So thanks for listening this week. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and that is it for this week's Dying to Ask. We'll see you again next time.